Welcome to the Eclectic Readers Podcast, where we talk about everything, even the tough stuff. I'm Meredith. I'm Jeanette. I'm Tara. How is everyone today? I'm doing super well. I have been, had like an actual relaxing weekend for the first time since we moved. Hell which, yeah. Which, yeah, might have been like the craziest weekend of the year and we're only a month in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's been nice. It's been relaxing. I've been reading a lot. I'm super excited. We just started our book bingo with our friends. Um uh, and if you don't know what our book bingo is, you should go back and listen to past episodes because we've talked about it. And I'm sure we'll set, share the new bingo card soon. And um, yeah, I'm just excited. I've been unpacking and I'm going to get to unpack my new library slash office soon. That's going to be really Yay. great. That's always the exciting part of moving in somewhere new. <laughs> yeah, I've been saving it because I want to make like a little like reading nook. And so I'm like saving it to like kind of savor setting that up. Uh, <laughs> nice. That's great. Yeah. How are you, Tara? I'm doing okay. I'm doing good. So um, new houses all around, I think. Um, we are like two weeks out from selling our house down in Tampa and about two weeks out from buying the house we've chosen up here in Atlanta. So things are going really well. We're just moving along, doing our thing. Um, book bingo started and that's exciting. I know we're weird. We, we have our book bingo with our friends starts in February um, I think it's just because all those New Year's things are just really like, uh, what's it? What am I trying to think? It, it's very stressful every New Year with all the new challenges, um, yeah. everything you have to do and going back to work. And uh, we have just this weird tradition of starting our book bingo with our friends in February. I don't yeah, know where that you came know. from. Well, I think it came from the first year. We didn't find out about our book bingo until like after January had already started. So I think it just kind of became tradition. Just wait till February. Just wait till February, um, which I love. I love it because it's low stress. Um, and it did start this weekend. And this is the first year I've decided I'm not going to go for the first straight line. Has anyone made bingo yet, by the way, guys? I don't think so. Oh my I would God, hope by, not. It's been by like now I totally hours. would have, but, but normally by now I would have made it. So um, I have to say I'm having a much better weekend right now than I normally would have if I was trying to read four books in 24 hours. So, so your eyeballs feeling, aren't falling out. Yeah, my eyeballs don't hurt. I'm not crying. I'm not exhausted from just the constant, <laughs> constant, um, yeah, the constant reading of the black and white pages. So I'm doing good. Doing great. Uh, what about you, Meredith? Well, I am not buying a new house or moving. Uh, so <laughs> I think I'm doing pretty good. I think um, that's a plus for you. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, I'm really excited for just some book releases this month. February is just a really great month for it some <laughs> uh, YA fantasy book releases that I've been looking forward to. Uh, one of which is V.E. Schwab's A Conjuring of Light, which is the third book in her trilogy. So excited. Huh? And she's coming to Arlington at the end of the month. So jealous. Uh, <laughs> so great. It's going to be an awesome time. I'm really looking forward to that event. And then I guess technically before our March episode will come out, uh, hopefully I'll be going to the Novatine Book Festival on March 11th, which is also in Arlington. And it looks like they have a nice lineup of some YA authors. So that should be really cool. Yeah, I'm excited about that one too. In fact, I just uh, bought a book for the Novatine Book Festival. So looking forward to that. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, listeners... Hmm? I was just going to say, you guys have 
fun book stuff time without me. I'll just <laughs> be sad over here in Atlanta without my. You could always come visit. Yeah. I know. We do. We're lucky where we are. We get a lot of good events mm-hmm. in this area. Uh, all right. Well, let's get moving on. We actually have a special guest with us this episode. We're really yes. excited to introduce Stacy. Uh, Stacy, hi. Stacey. Hi. Hey. Hi. Stacy is a book blogger that I met through Litzy, and uh, she's become a real life friend too because she lives in the area. So, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. So, before we jump into all things books, well, I guess these are book questions. Let's be honest. Um, let's let our readers get to know you a little bit better. Um, so, Stacy, what are some of your favorite genres to read? Okay, quick question. Can I count Stephen King as just his own genre? Then <laughs> definitely Stephen King. Um, I, I figure I spend a lot more time reading fiction, but as of lately, I've been really pulled into nonfiction books. So right now, I'm probably going to say nonfiction's winning on the genre oh, round. Wow. Cool. Yeah been reading a lot of nonfiction and some really great, great nonfiction. So I'm really excited about that. Nice. Cool. So obviously you like Stephen King books, but what are some of your other favorite books? Um, Harry Potter. I am a diehard Harry Potter fanatic and I have absolutely no shame about that. I just finished my annual reread of the series. Um, Dark Tower series, which is one of Stephen King's big it's his magnum opus, I guess is the best way to mm-hmm. say it. I just finished reading that in December. It's one of my favorite series as well. And then I, I go back to a lot of the old classics. I reread a few of those a few years back. And Grapes of Wrath is probably one of my all-time favorite books. Orwell's Animal Farm is probably one of my all-time favorite books. And I got my hands on Killing Rage by Bell Hooks earlier this year. And that's definitely been a life-changing experience so I'm definitely Mm -hmm. gonna put her up there on the favorite books ever list as well nice so obviously you do a lot of reading (laughs) what's your what's your earliest memory of reading okay so this is gonna make me sound like a, a really huge dork and I'm okay with that when I was little I used to do almost like a readathon I'd lay my blanket out and I'd grab like my goosebump books which used to be my favorite books in the world and I would just sit there and have all my pillows and try and read as many as I could within a day and that's probably one of my earliest memories I was six and I was like it's time to read as many goosebumps novels as I can and I would and it was like the best thing ever to just be on my favorite blanket in the living room undisturbed reading my goosebump books Oh, that sounds pretty awesome to me. Yeah, I'm a fully grown adult, and I want to do that. Anybody still got some Goosebumps? Like, yeah, they were the Street. They were my favorite books ever. Goosebumps, (laughs) Fear Street, and then I made the gigantic jump to King. So yeah, 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 that is a leap. A little bit, yeah. Uh, (laughs) And so I know I mentioned when I was introducing you that you do have a book blog. So can you let our listeners know where they can find your blog? I am on Blogspot. You can find me at the next book on my list, blogspot.com. I try and post every week, and it's mostly reviews, but I am putting more content on there as of late. So definitely check it out. The next book on my list, blogspot.com. Awesome. Very cool. 
we are thankful to have you on because I know you're going to bring in a lot of insight. We have a lot of good book discussions through Litzy. So excited to have you here. I'm yeah, very thank you. Definitely glad you Thank you guys for having me. So now, since we're gonna, we've had a lot of good book discussion, we're going to have more book discussion and uh, talk about what we're reading now. So let's start with you, Tara. What are you reading now? Sure. So um, I, I'm sure all of you probably have like 6,000 books because, like I said, I'm taking Book Bingo slow this year. Uh, so excited. Um, but I'm really all things circus right now. So I am rereading The Night Circus mm. at the moment. And I'm reading uh, Freaks by Amanda Hawking, which um, just for, I guess, uh, transparency purposes, we did receive free copies to review from St. Martin's Griffin Publishing. Um, so, but I'm liking it a lot so far, and I'm not just saying it because I got a free copy. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it's all things circus um, for me. What about you, Meredith? Uh, yeah, so I actually just finished up Freaks. And I thought, you know, it was a pretty decent YA kind of paranormal fantasy romance, all sorts of things mixed together. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I wrote up a review. You can check that out on Goodreads. There's some things I like, some things I thought weren't so great. But overall, I liked it. Um, and I also just finished up My Lady Jane, which actually has three authors, uh, Cynthia Hand, Brody Ashton, and Jody Meadows. Mm. I know I started talking about it on the last podcast because I had just got uh, I just got the the download from the library. And I wasn't even really sure what all it was about. I'd just been hearing good reviews. And you guys, it was so hilarious. I loved it. Oh, my gosh. I'm so looking <laughs> forward to it. it. I'm I so glad that it. you said it's funny. Ugh. Yeah, I added it to my TBR right away as soon as you talked about it last month. And I was like, yeah, this is a thing I'm going yeah. to do. So it's like complete alternate history, like not even trying to be, you know, real. Um, it's definitely fantasy. Um, and so it takes place during the uh, British era of like where it's King Edward and then, you know, you have Queen Jane for a few days and then Queen Mary and then eventually Queen Elizabeth. And it just kind of takes that all and puts it on its head. And so instead of Protestants versus Catholics, like it was in real life, you have um, what they call themselves uh, Ethians, which are people who can turn into a specific animal uh, versus the Verities. So the Ethians would be kind of the Protestants in the story and the Verities would be the Catholics. Um, so it's real, it's just, it's so funny. And, you know, they throw around like a lot of different like Shakespeare quips and some, I found some Monty Python references Ugh. and. Oh my God. I just feel like, this. I just <laughs> honest to God, feel like this book was made for me. And. And yes, uh, it, it really is Tara because one of the main people can turn into a horse and I know you love horses. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I would definitely you recommend this. Can get into this. what Queen Elizabeth can turn into? Or you don't have to tell me. You know, don't tell me. I will find out. I'm just really <laughs> excited about all of this. It's okay. I'm buying it right now. I'm like going to my Amazon app right now and just purchasing it. So. Well, <laughs> well, yeah. It's it's I funny think this because the perfect because that whole era was a dumpster fire anyway. So to see someone turn it into and this kind of fantasy just sounds hilarious. Yeah. I mean, it's really funny. You know, normally you would not think of this time in history as being funny, but uh, 
they just said, you know what, we're going to make it funny. And they did. Um, and that's what I ended up doing. I ended up buying it myself because, um, as I said in the last podcast, I was like, oh, I'm reading so many things. I don't think I'll finish it in time. And I didn't. I got like halfway through before my ebook got sent back. And then there's a huge hold list. And I was like, no. So I went and bought it <laughs> so I could finish it. <laughs> but now oh. it's, it's sitting pretty on my shelf. And I'm sure I'll revisit it because it was just hilarious. Um, and so I also, so I finished that yesterday and I just started uh, a, the graphic novel for my book, Bingo Square, uh, Nimona by Noelle Stevenson. Oh, that's oh, such been, a good one. Yeah, I've been hearing I great things Nimona. about it. I love Noelle. I love, I love both those things. Great and book. so I must say before I pass it on, because I just thought this was funny, I was looking back on my Goodreads and the only books that I finished in January were graphic novels and nonfiction. Like, <laughs> who am I? <laughs> I'm like this. I mean, but it's awesome because I'm kind of branching out from just, you know, my standard fiction stuff. But I just I was looking at that. I was like, that's that's interesting. I have yet to read a graphic novel and being on Litzy is like what's pushing me to read them. So of course the first one I go out and buy is the March trilogy. Yeah. I'm um, waiting yes. to get my hands on that. Like I looked at it and I was like, Oh my God, you're gorgeous. And I just have not had a chance to dig in, but it's on my list. I promise I will get to a graphic novel sometime this year. I've got three sitting on my table staring at me at home. So the so. March saga is a great, it's great, but if you want something, I mean, it really is really great. Everybody should read them. I'm not in any way saying that you shouldn't, but if you're looking for something like a little bit more fantastical, uh-huh. and I recommend this to like pretty much everybody, and I think we have recommended this at least a dozen times on this podcast alone, but Saga. If you mm. pick up I've Saga I've heard amazing one. things about Saga. Yeah. That's the one that yeah. I keep seeing on my yes. timeline. Okay. I would Saga. co-sign Saga. that. Definitely, because that's, I mean, I'm, I've just gotten into graphic novels this past year, and um, that is the first, pretty much, I guess, the first series that I've really been reading all the way through. So I would definitely recommend it. Good to know. Okay, perfect. Perfect. So let's see. So Stacy, what are you reading right now? Right now, I am reading the fifth season by Jemison. We're doing that with Litzy Feminist Book Club. And I almost wish I wasn't traveling at this time because then I would have been able to completely devour it because it is so amazing. Mm. Jemison's narrative is incredible. Her writing style is just, I just love it. And it keeps alternating between three different characters and they're all so well done that it's, it's, I have a feeling I'm going to finish it and then try and breeze through the entire series. So I'm reading the fifth season right now. And I'm also reading short stories by Irenison Okoji, which is an author that I was not familiar with at all. She has a, a Speak Gigantular, which is the name of the, the story collection. It is incredible. Very, very diverse selection of stories. And I've been taking my time with it. It's part of my Keeping It Short theme this year. And been reading a short story after every book that I read and every single one has just been incredible. I was really lucky to get an arc of that from that galley and I've just I've been really enjoying it. So right now it's just those two books for me. That's awesome though. That's that's another thing I need to try to get into. I don't really read a lot of short stories. But that's a really cool way of doing it. It's I can't sit through an entire collection of short stories and find it very enjoyable. I've only been able to do that once and that was with 
uh, Lahiri's interpreters of melodies. I'm mm. sure I, I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. But after reading that, I was like, I really need to read more short stories because this is incredible. And then I tried, and I was like, okay, I'm failing miserably. We have to rethink this. <laughs> and that's how uh, keeping it short came about. And it's been it's been perfect for just sliding in another short story every chance I get. So it's been awesome. Yeah, I think great. that's a great way to digest them. I think that's a really interesting way. If you struggle with the ability to sit down and just pick up uh, a book of short stories and enjoy it that way, I think doing them one at a time like you're doing, I think that's just a brilliant, brilliant way of introducing yourself to that type of fiction. I will definitely recommend that. Definitely, definitely, definitely. If you're like me, if you have a hard time sitting through short stories, then just read a book, read a short story, read a book, read a short story. It's so much more enjoyable. So mm-hmm. much more. Awesome. I usually love short stories, but I can think of like several people who've told me recently like they don't like short stories, and now I want to go and recommend this to all of them. Oh, definitely. I don't know what it is. Like for me, I just I think maybe it's because it's I get so wrapped up into one story to have it change to something so radically different within just a page and it not correlate to each other at all. It would just break my rhythm and now I'm seeing I can enjoy it however long it is, however short it is. And like, okay, well, that was interesting. Okay, well, where's my book? And now I have another <laughs> 400 pages that I can dive into of a of a story that it's just been very helpful. I definitely, definitely, definitely recommend it. Sounds cool. cool. Yeah. So, Jeanette, what are you reading? Well, I also just finished Freaks by Amanda Hawking. And I have to agree with you, Meredith. There was a lot of stuff that I liked. There was some stuff that I wish had been different or, you know, like I could see coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a lot of fun stuff to it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's be real. We, it's no surprise that on, on this podcast, any book with a traveling circus um, <laughs> pretty much strikes our fancy. Um so for book bingo, though, I just finished Romancing the Duke by Tessa Dare yesterday, which is a historical romance. But oh. the author describes herself as a fan in the dedication, I think it was. and Or she dedicates her books to fans. And she definitely has fandom references within this historical novel, which I think is really, really hilarious and fun. <laughs> cool. Including a Star Wars reference, which I won't spoil. Ooh, um, yeah, nice. yeah. Try and figure out how there's a Star Wars reference in a like Regency romance. There you go. Hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> um, now I'm working on First Women by Kate Anderson Brower, which is a book about um, all the first women from all the first ladies from Jackie Kennedy to Michelle Obama. And it kind of talks about how their role in politics works and how each woman handle that role and their relationship between each other and the politics of their time. It's very, very interesting. Um, Yeah, so it's been a pretty good week for books, man. Yeah, sounds like it. Cool. So um, I think we'll continue our general book talk by talking about some listener feedback because we talked about our readolutions last time. I wasn't mm-hmm. here, but I'd be happy to share my readolution, um, which is 
that uh, this year I plan on working on three reading challenges, our own ER Mad Libs, hashtag ER Mad Libs. People should be working on that. <laughs> um, I'm also doing the Let's See A to Z challenge. And I am doing our book bingo, of course. So there's a couple of others I have my eye on, but I, I am sticking to quality over quantity, like I decided last year, because that worked out really nicely for me. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to see where I feel I'm at after I do my three reading challenges. So I've only upped my book count on Goodreads to 60 books this year. I'm like, leave it at that, because that's about how many I read anyway in a year, usually. Yeah. And that's my, good. Yeah. And my other read illusion is to uh, stick to books mainly that I already own, because I have a lot of books I've bought and mm-hmm. haven't read. Mm-hmm. I feel you there. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to stick to yeah, books. I have a bookshelf. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of silly. And, you know, people make fun of me. They're like, why do you own so many books anyways? I'm like, because I haven't read them. <laughs> <laughs> I can't give them away unless I know if I can give them away. Um, so, yeah. Um, and some other Litzy followers have given us some readolutions. At Kathy said, um, said she will bail without guilt or shame, focusing on the pleasure of reading and not the obligation of finishing, which after my year of 100 books, I completely agree with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good one. Yeah. I think once you accept the fact that it's okay to bail on a book that doesn't make you happy, it becomes so much easier to bail on a book once you get over that hump. Yeah, you can ride it all the way out. I've I've completely accepted the fact that it's okay to bail, Kathy. Bail, it's okay. <laughs> it's freeing, that, you know. It's like I think I just I I think I'm deciding that I'm bailing on a book that I started in January that I haven't finished because I wasn't feeling it. So I get it. Like I think it's going to be very freeing to be like, I'm just not going to finish it. <laughs> and I, I've never had these feels. Like if I am not in a book. I can make it, I can try, I can try really hard and I do sometimes, but I mean, as our longtime listeners will know, if I'm just not feeling it, I'll just bail. I will, unless it's short enough and it's a book club obligation, high book club mm-hmm. obligations, then I'll just finish it. But like, let's say, um, Anna Karenina did not finish. Oh my God. Um, I don't think I'll ever finish Anna Karenina. It's made me so happy even mentioning that. I don't think I can yeah. do it. Uh, be careful. That was Jeanette's pick, and she she has feels about the fact that. I well, really I was about to say that was a book club pick, and you still it didn't finish it. because it's too yeah. freaking long. <laughs> and the one I just couldn't get through because I just I just couldn't I just couldn't was Girl on a Train. Just mm-hmm. did not like it at all, and, and just couldn't force myself through it. But uh, those are the two book club picks that I bailed on. And, well, and I see- just came up with. And when I came up with the rule for my bails, it helped. If it takes me three days to get through 100 pages, then I need to bail. Because I can Ooh, usually uh. get through 100 pages in a day. That's like my go-to number. If it takes me three days to get through 100 pages, then it's it's an automatic bail. I can't. Unless there's so something going on, it's an automatic bail. Yeah. Automatic hmm. bail. Hmm. That's a good way of yeah, looking at it to like give yourself some kind of rule of thumb or some kind of mm-hmm. um, point 
Cause see, my problem is that I always think, okay, maybe it'll get better. And the only books I've been like, these are not going to get better have been book club books. So I had to finish them. <laughs> um, but like to use Anna Karenina as an example, I understand that one was a long one for pretty much everybody. But even though that was long, like the parts that had trouble reading it, I pushed through because I was like, well, let's see what's going to happen on the other side. And almost every single time I was like, oh, yeah, it got good again. So I just that's my trouble with bailing. But I think it's a good redolution. So I do. I do, too. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Good job, Kathy said. Uh, <laughs> at Islet said that hers is to sticking to books I already own. And as I already said, I think this is perfect revolution. So it really is. It really, really is. Um, I wish you both got speed on that one. I said I was going to try and do that, and I've already bought books this year. So I think I've just, <laughs> I didn't even bother trying to commit to that one. I tried, but no, ultimate fail. See, I didn't make a really illusion not to buy more books. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was the yeah. perfect workaround. Perfect <laughs> workaround. Pretty much is. <laughs> Do you have any redilutions, Stacey? Um, this is going to be the first year I'm not doing a, a quote-unquote challenge. Because I usually set up what I call themes to get me through the year. And this is the first year, probably the last four or five, where my theme isn't a set list of books. Or a, I've done band books, which was incredible. I did... Um, Last year was what we've coined our Let's See the Birthday Challenge. So I read a book from every year that I've been born. And this year I was kind of like, you know, I do have a lot of books already in the house. I'd like to read more arcs. When I set myself into a challenge, it limits. I feel like I'm limited in what I can read because of time constraints. Because it's, I just feel pressured. So this year I was like, you know what? No challenges. We're just going to do keeping it short. Focus on trying to read more short stories. And then read whatever else so that's really it just keeping it short and reading good books that's all i want right now is to dive into one good book after the next and just be happy in my books i think that's good you know that's where i'm at right now the themes are good they've been great they've really helped me diversify my reading but now i'm ready to take a break so keeping it short more books wanting to read for you is not something to be ashamed of you know yeah, if, yeah. reading should make you happy I, I think that's great yeah and I've, I've really enjoyed doing the things but this last year especially when I'm trying to figure out and the planning process was amazing being able to get into all of these different books that I've had on my list or that I had never heard of and was interested in that was perfect but when I would look and try and plan a month ahead it just I was like I need a break from from things so keeping it short is I guess my only theme of the year. So my only revolution is to continue to read, enjoy it. I've been averaging a hundred about a year. So we're going to try and keep with that and just hopefully become a short story junkie at the same time. So yeah. Nice. I love it. Mm -hmm. Love everything about it. I agree. Well, we have a couple of quick announcements this month as well. One is that we are going to be rolling out our new website. Check it out on March 1st. The address is going to be eclecticreaders.fireside.fm. 
So I'm super excited about this. Yay! Yay! And uh, along with that new website to celebrate, we are going to be releasing an interview, which Susan and Meredith had the opportunity to record recently, with the awesome and hilarious author Tara Clancy. Yay! I love her. She just released her new memoir, The Clancy's of Queens, which is a lot of fun. I recommend that. And we are releasing this special episode on March 1st to celebrate our new website. Yay! Celebrate good times. Come on. Come on. Do, 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 do. Okay. <laughs> All righty. And I guess for one last quick discussion before we get into our main read, maybe we'll go around real quickly and talk about um, our favorite POC characters. Um, So we have a very serious read, so let's talk about something real happy right before we go into that. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't don't you start, Meredith? Okay, sure. And um, just to clarify, POC stands for Persons of Color. And so pretty much any characters that's not white is at least how I take that, more or less. Um, That's right, yeah. Yeah, Um, because I've seen some talk on Twitter and Litzy that I think that's more of like a U.S. term and some international people are confused by it. So just so you know, that's what we're talking about. (laughs) International people, we just love acronyms. It's like a problem with the U.S. We (laughs) over-acronym everything. So apologies. Yeah, so that's just our blanket term. (laughs) But um, I think if I was to go back into the classics, I think I would probably say Jim from The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Um, I just, I loved that book. I loved the relationship between Jim and Huck. Um, I need to read that again. It's been so long since I've read it. Um, But I just, I loved that. And if I'm going with more recent books that I've read... I would say Cora from the Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. Uh, she is like a strong, strong character and um, just someone that was really interesting to follow throughout the story. And um, some other books that I read last year, I would go with Cooney from The Grace of Kings. Yeah, uh, Cooney. Oh, yeah. Cooney was awesome. Um, Cooney so the was Grace- great. Yeah. <laughs> If, if you haven't listened to our interview with Ken Liu, um, The Grace of Kings that he wrote is an epic fantasy and it's based in the Eastern Chinese kind of legend and myth, but he does it so well. It's not stereotypical. It's just like really good, real characters. And I think Cooney's probably one of my favorites. There was a lot of good characters in that book. There were, there were. And um, also kind of playing off of uh, some Book Riot Live books that we read. Uh, Penny from the comic graphic novel series, Bitch Planet. Um, she's just awesome. Really, she, almost everyone in Bitch Planet could be on, could pretty much. be in this list. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Um, so those are some standouts for me. Um, so let's see, Stacy, what, what uh, POC characters came to mind for you? So the first one that jumped out to me was, I don't know if anybody's read Americana by Chimamanda Ngochi Adichie. It is amazing. And her main character, Ethamilu, was so well done. And it was one of those books where she would have excerpts from the character's blog. And I was just praying that I'd be able to Google it and actually find the blog of the character because her insight and her observations about women and men and just being black in America and being a non-American black in the country was just in 
incredible. Definitely recommend that one. Another one was actually, I don't know if you guys have read um, Easy Rollins in Devil in a Blue Dress by Walter Mosley. It's on my TBR. Yeah. Oh my God. I felt when I was reading it like I knew him. It was very reminiscent of men that have been in my life that I've seen at family card parties or playing dominoes or it just felt like home almost when I was right. reading it. And I was like, yeah, easy Rollins. And then while I was reading my band book theme, and it was absolutely amazing. I actually, for the first time, read Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harry Beecher Stowe. So, mm. and absolutely fell in love with Uncle Tom. And it was almost jarring because the image that we see all the time of Uncle Tom is a turncoat. So to read it and really dive into what he was as a man and as a character, I was at a loss to figure out why anyone had ever turned his character into what we see in mainstream media. But yeah, absolutely absolutely incredible and absolutely a book that I would recommend if you've never read it. It was absolutely pivotal in the abolitionist movement and a really, really, really great read disturbing in its honesty disturbing Mm -hmm. in the way slavery is depicted but so humanizing in the way we see uncle tom and the way we see a lot of these characters who are just kind of fighting to live and to try and find some semblance of happiness so those are definitely the three that that pushed out the easiest so those are Mm -hmm. some of my favorite poc characters awesome that's awesome. Tara, what about you? Oh, all right. I'm I'm so glad, Meredith, that you put a graphic novel in because I <sighs> am going to cheat left, right, and center using graphic novels uh, because I think... <laughs> they count. They're still characters. I, I do think they count. And I want to give props to the comic book world because this wasn't always true. Um, but, the, well, I mean, Storm, I guess. I mean, the graphic... Uh, the comic book world has done a really, really good job lately of um, diversifying their main cast of characters. Um, And I think that I just wanted to give a big shout out. But before I give a shout out to them, um, I definitely wanted to include Mercy from the Mercy Thompson series. Yes, um, I almost included her, but. (laughs) (laughs) Who's Native American. And yeah, okay, that series is, is, is like, Super supernatural trash, but I love it. Like, um, and <laughs> she is—you know what I mean. You know what I mean. It's like <laughs> it's easy fun. reading, um, but she is such a great character, and um, her experiences feel very. Her truth feels very truthful to me. Yes. Um, Shadow from American Gods, which um, I know people who follow Neil Gaiman and people who um, read American Gods—that's always been somewhat debated. Um, but if you are following anything about the show, um, Neil Gaiman insisted that Shadow be a mixed race cast. Um, mm. So, haha, all you non-believers. Anyway, um, <laughs> and then I want to say Gari from the Star Touch Queen series. Mm-hmm. Um, Maya's not on here. Sorry, Maya's the main character. Uh, but Gari's the her younger sister who ends up just being this badass lady um yeah and we I get just, her book this year yeah, yeah we get her book say, this year. Soon. i'm really excited about it um she seems like definitely the standout character for me from that book um and someone i'm really looking forward to seeing in future books now from 
graphic novel point of view, Alana from Saga. We've already talked about Saga. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but definitely Alana. She is the most one of the most beautifully flawed characters I have ever read. Um, and I, I just freaking adore her. And then um, Kamala Khan from Ms. Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, she is, I believe Kamala Khan being introduced as Ms. Marvel has honestly changed, completely changed the comic book industry forever. Um, I, I think her success and the way people react to her, um, especially in this time of um, political strife around Islam is, has just been um, like one of the bright spots. Uh, I just, I love that comic. I love that character. And if you've never picked up Ms. Marvel and you've never read anything about Kamala Khan, uh, do. I highly, highly recommend it. Mm. Yeah, Ms. Marvel is, has been on my list and I've almost picked it up like a hundred different times. I really just need to do it. Um, yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, what about you, Jeanette? What have you been just loving? Well, I guess I almost put Mercy from the Mercy Thompson series on myself, but it just felt like I was going to name too many characters. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I mean, like I did. <laughs> I absolutely love her. Um, uh, recently, like from recent reads from the past couple years, um, the characters from Cinder, C- Cinder um, takes place in Asia. So most of the characters that we see in Cinder are Asian and they're just a lot of fun and it's just a really fun series. And the, I'm reading, I'm going to be reading the third book in that series soon. And I'm just really excited about it. Um, Park from Eleanor and Park. Um, that is the book that made me fall in love with Rainbow Rowell and Park is just, he's just so good. Mm-hmm. He is. He really is. He's just such a sweet person. Um, Brings all the feels. Yes. Uh, Junior from the absolutely true diary of a part-time Indian. I just yes. love, I really connected with like his struggle that he was having mm-hmm. in that book. And um, so it's just such a great book. I recommend that one. Mm-hmm. And last year um, I talked about uh, Marcelo in the real world mm-hmm. and Marcelo himself, I don't necessarily connect with as a character, but he and his mom have just this really great relationship and I really love that relationship. So Aww. those are characters I would recommend visiting. And um, since we mentioned graphic novels, I'm throwing in a bonus. And I'm going to say I just read Princeless. And oh, my God. I cannot wait to read that. Adrian, oh, tell me everything. Tell me everything. <laughs> okay. So Princeless is a graphic novel. And it's basically about a princess who... Um, decides that she is not going to wait for a prince to save her. And so she rescues herself and decides that she is going to go off and also rescue other princesses, beginning with her own sisters. Oh, that sounds incredible. And she is just hilarious and sassy, and she draws attention to all sorts of different, like, ridiculous princess tropes without being like hammer you on the head about them she's just sassy and you're like yeah you're right this is ridiculous and you laugh and it's great so i seriously uh, cannot wait to read that book i'm just yeah and i just picked it. up the second one in the series and uh i'm super excited about it and i'm super excited about her because she's an amazing heroine so 
So mm. now that we've had our warm and fuzzy discussion, can we get <laughs> to our uh, somewhat frustrated, but in, you know, I think we've all probably, um, I, I feel like saying you enjoyed this book is, is hard, but probably accurate. Um, most people, I, I think during, in our real life club, um, at very much, at very least appreciated the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so our main read this, this month was blood at the root by Patrick Phillips. Um, which was a very hard book for a lot of us to read. Uh, just a brief summary. In 1912 in Forsyth County, Georgia, by the way, like an hour from where I just moved, um, two crimes were committed against two different young white women. The people of the county reacted but not only by not only blaming two young black men, but by driving every last black person from their county. The county then existed in the state of whites only for the next 75 plus years. This book is an investigation of that event and how the county stood still in time for all those years afterwards. Um, so guys, what was one thing that stood out for you in this book? There were so many things. Um, I feel like we all just took a really big deep breath. (laughs) I think we did. Being able to dive into it. And I do want to say like, it is hard to say that we enjoyed this book but Phillips did an incredible job with the writing of he the did. story. So I will say as hard as it was a topic, I did enjoy the way it was written. But mm-hmm. can we just say one thing that stood out in this book? Like I, I don't I don't know if I could put my finger on one thing that stood out because there were so many atrocities that happened within such a short period of time. And the fear was just palpable with every single page. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, because of all of that, my thing was going to say that, that the writing was so sincerely done. And, um, you know, especially for such a sensitive topic. Um, and this, the, the, the author is a white male. I thought he did it with extreme grace. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. Well, read. What about you, Mayor? Um, I guess what's if I'm going to say one thing, because I know we'll be diving into a lot of things. Mm-hmm. One thing that stood out to me was the fact that I did not know that this had even happened, and I lived in the county next to Forsyth County for three years as a child. Um, so obviously, I mean, I lived in uh, Gwinnett County, Georgia. Well, I mean, if, to be fair, I was like age four to age seven when we lived there. So <laughs> not something I, I that would have come up. I think you give yourself a pass. Um, but <laughs> like just, just finding out about this now, I was like, this was happening? You know, we moved there in 1989. So that, you know, we moved there just, you know, a couple years after all the last protests and all this stuff. And so I was talking with my parents after I finished the book. And I was like, did you, did you know that this was happening, you know, just over the border of our county? And um, they, they didn't. I mean, my dad was just transferred there for his job. So we didn't really know anything about the area. But um, he did say that his office building was right along the line of Gwinnett County and Forsyth County. And that, um, yeah, he was just told that uh, black people were afraid to go to Forsyth County by his coworkers. 
I mean, wow. Wow. Yeah. I think one of the things that stood out to me was how they were able to keep the county so segregated for so long. When I read that the first march had taken place in 1987, it was one of those moments where I kind of look in the mirror and say, you were alive while we were still fighting right. very viciously yeah. in segregation in this segregated town. And then to see that Oprah went down there and had you know a whole open discussion with people in the town. And to even for them to sit with a very successful black woman who was obviously very well kept, obviously wealthy and say the things they were saying as if she was not a black woman standing right in front of them completely demolishing every single idea they had about what a black person was it was outright right. ignorance it, I guess was, I can't it, think of a better way to say it like it's just like this was their truth and their truth was so ingrained that they had no empathy for anything beyond it it it, it startled me to no end too when I read about the Oprah Winfrey interview. I thought that was, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't even imagine what they were thinking other than they were thinking they were right. Just insane. Exactly. And I mean, I actually went on YouTube. I found a clip of the interview and I was proud of her for staying as poised mm-hmm. as she did because I don't know if I would have been able to articulate myself in the way that she did while she was you know, having this discussion with these people that she knew did not want her there, that they did not even want her within their county lines. And it just, it was, it was jarring to say the least. It was jarring. Mm -hmm. What about you, Jeanette? Anything particularly stand out for you? Oh man. I feel like every time I go back and look it, um, something different stands out for me. Um, But I would agree that just the fact that, you know, all of this was going down and, you know, we were alive, that was just, that just was so hard to digest in some ways. Um, I was like, this is, this was happening. I was like two years old when all of this was happening and Mm -hmm. it was just... Yeah, our incredible. generation likes to think we're very evolved, right? <laughs> right. You know, well, and it doesn't surprise me that, you know, it doesn't surprise me to find that there was racism in Georgia because right. I'm not one of those people <laughs> sure. who believes that racism <laughs> is, is, dead. is dead. Right. Like, it's just not. But to that extent, I think, was really hard to right. digest and to realize that, even 1912, you know, I wasn't alive in 1912, obviously, but it really wasn't even that long ago. Mm-hmm. Like when you really think no. about it, like the things no. that were happening, the things that, you know, the people of our country put each other through, they really weren't that far in the past. So, um, talking about how this makes you feel and about how all of this is, we're very lucky. Um, with this podcast, I think, to have a very diverse group of women and guests um, who come on to talk about this. And, um, you know, we all take away from a book like this something from our own personal experiences and our own personal um, dealings with um, race or racism or just, um, you know, bullying of any, not bullying, but uh, 
you know, discrimination of any kind. Uh, so what did all of you guys individually take from this book? How did this book make you feel? Okay, so a little bit of background knowledge before I completely dive in. Um, sure. I'm originally from Los Angeles. So growing up, race and racism and racial issues were always something that was talked about very honestly. And it was something that I had seen a lot of growing up. Like I remember the 92 riots in Los Angeles. I remember the Rodney King beating. I remember the OJ Simpson trial and how right. divisive that was. So growing up, it was something that was very apparent that there was still a lot of issues to overcome. I remember hearing stories from my grandparents. My grandmother is very, very light-skinned and she would pass during segregation and it was intentional when she did it. It could be something as simple as trying to go to the bathroom or getting food from a restaurant that my grandfather, who was darker, was not allowed to go into. Mm. So reading this was very, I'm not, I don't want to use the word, it didn't validate all of these stories. It just brought to light another story. It was another instance where segregation and racism were very apparent. One of the things that I took away from it, though, it answered some questions that kind of resonate in the back of your mind. I always, you know, wanted to look at these situations and why are you so afraid? What is it about being around black people that you find so terrifying? And in this instance, it was the possibility of being taken over. It was this possibility of there being some hidden black rebellion coming to take all the white people out of the town. And I, there was a quote that the author said, and it was, had to do, I can see if I can find it, it had to do with, you know, everyone being afraid that the sins of their grandparents and the sins of their fathers were finally gonna come back and get them. But none of that was rooted in fact, all of that was rooted in this, these myths that they had created and even with, you know, Ellen Grice claiming that she had been raped by a black man, all she had to do was say the words and it triggered this reaction because that had always been the fear. They're going to come and they're going to take our women away or they're going to come and they're going to take our land away. So as a young girl asking these questions, why? Why are you so afraid? This is the reason why. Because not only were they hateful, but they have been afraid forever, especially in this tiny town where there were a thousand black people, some of them very affluent. There was jealousy, there was anger, there was fear. And then you had these stories and these stories become so huge. They become so much a part of who these people are that they'll never be able to see around it. They'll never be right. able to, to broaden their view. And that was one of the main things that stood out to me this is why these stories are why these legends that people pass from one to another of that girl that was left at the side of the road and it was a black man that did it even though there's never been any proof there was you know a confession that very well could have been coerced out of the child because he was a child he was mm -hmm. and yet yeah. like this like 14 yeah your fear is coming from a 14 year old child and when you see the pictures of him he was like a stick figure. He wasn't, he, yeah. he 
wasn't largely built. He wasn't intimidating. He was a child, but that fear was strong enough that a child could bring that out of grown men. And mm-hmm. that was one of the things growing up. It just, when I read that, that's what I kept going back to thinking about what it was like to grow up and see all these racial differences and all this divisiveness. Always one why, and then to see it play out in this book, it's just like, oh, there's one instance why. Right. Mm-hmm. What about you, Mayor? Well, I guess I'm about on the opposite side of the spectrum. Um, I'm about as white as you get. <laughs> um, and my family has been in the United States for a very long time. Um, some of my dad's side of the family came over on the Mayflower. So, like, we've been here a bit. <laughs> and um, it, it it's hard to kind of in this in our generation, it's like, well, you know, we're not the ones that enslaved people or we're not the ones that did these bad things. But you know what? It really wasn't that long ago. Um, we still have a lot, a lot of work to do and to kind of like, yeah, like rebuild that trust and get rid of this fear that is just ridiculous. Um, but again, when I was talking with my parents about everything, um, my, so my my mother's father's side, so her paternal side, um, my great-grandfather, her grandfather, was born in 1866. So he was born a year after the Civil War ended. My grandfather was born in 1917, so if he was alive, he'd be 100 years old this year. And that was just a few years after all of this was going on. Like, it really wasn't that long ago um, in the grand scheme of history, you know? Definitely, definitely agree. Yeah, it really isn't. And like, as I was reading, I mean, as I started this book, the first few chapters, I, I read just wanting to cry. Like it was, it's really, it was just horrifying in some ways. And it's sad, not just because it's a sad story. These are children that people were so terrified but it's also really sad because it's just it's not surprising right that it happened and like I said I don't believe um racism is dead and I've seen it in my own life I've seen it you know around me and it was just it's because just kind of heartbreaking how far we still have to go yeah Mm mm-hmm um, no, go ahead. Sorry. Well, one of the things that we have to, to realize, too, whenever we speak about race is that a lot of people for a really long time, especially after having elected a, a black president and have him serve in the White House for eight years, is it made people feel more comfortable. And that's why one of the this why one of these books is so important, because for so long, people believe, well, we're we're not using separate bathrooms anymore. Racism has to be dead. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, I, I, that is such a low bar. That's so disturbingly <laughs> low of a bar yeah, to me. Exactly. And it's, but it's, it's incredibly trying to explain to some people, the people that don't believe that racism still exists, people that don't believe that, mm-hmm. you know, they benefit from 
the way society has been set up. Mm-hmm. And we look at it and talk about, you know, kids and the fact that a lot of the the people that were affected by this the most were teenagers. The people that lost their lives and had to go to trial were teenagers. But even with that, some of the grown men that, you know, were living in this town feared for their lives. Like, these are grown men that know that youth isn't affecting how they're being looked at. So for them, they're even more of a threat because they're a grown man, because they've been in this town for so long, for so many reasons. We we see it in this story, in our daily lives. Racism, and the only way that at this point we'd be able to get rid of it is for people to realize that while some have benefited from it, others are still suffering, and the suffering's getting worse, especially with what's going on in this political climate right now. Mm-hmm. It's not just about the fact that people are still being dehumanized because of their skin color, but the fact that others aren't realizing that they are benefiting from that. They are. Mm-hmm. All of the things that society has set up, there are people that will always benefit from it, and you have to get over the fact that you are benefiting from it. You have to be the one that look at it and say, you know what, this is wrong on so many levels because human beings should be respected as being human beings. Right. Think of, look at all the way, once all that land cleared, who benefited from all of that land being cleared in Forsyth County? The white residents that had nothing. Right. They mm-hmm. and- right on in and it was their game. And they were okay with that because it was their game. Because and they that felt was, it was their right. And that's, that's exactly how they felt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. That's the thing I feel is really disturbing about discrimination of any kind. Um, and I think we, and we, this was brought up in our last month's discussion when we read um, Men Explain Things to Me. It's this idea that somebody thinks that they have the right, that their, that their personal ability to go forth in the world and do what they want supersedes your ability to be happy, to be healthy, to be whole. To be safe. And to be safe, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, that they, they just truly believe that and they think they're doing nothing wrong. I, I, I just can't understand that. Um, as an empathetic human being, I have a really hard time understanding how a person can walk around in today's world feeling that other people do not matter more than their own needs and wants. And that was one of those things where he talks about, you know, how in the 80s they were trying to, you know, ask for things like reparations and they were trying to ask for apologies and they wanted the land back. And the leaders of Forsyth County said, well, no, this never happened. Everybody voluntarily left. Yeah. (laughs) Right. That, That was, and I was like, Ugh. I was like, you're saying this as if, they're, and they're like, none of the people here did any of that. Well, you're saying this as if the people here right now are not directly benefiting from the actions of people 75 years ago. And that's what privilege is. And I think that's what people who struggle with privilege and the idea of what privilege means um, just do not understand is that it okay, you may not be actively doing anything right now, but you are benefiting from a society that actively does things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think yeah. you just hit the nail on the head with that complete statement right there. That was exactly the point. So I applaud you because that was very, 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 very well said. 
yeah, it's just, it was something that just made me so frustrated and angry reading it. Yeah, I was really hoping that this is not a book for the faint of heart, not even the content of the story, but the imagery in it. Oh, yeah. Like there were moments reading the story and moments simply turning the page and looking at pictures that put chills down my spine. So as well written and as informative as this book is, if you do not, because I mean, there's pictures of kids being lynched in this book. He does not hold back. He wants you to have a visceral reaction to what it is that happened in this town. He does not want to shy away from the fact that this story has relevance today, just like Mm -hmm. the events had relevance then. And if that's not something you can handle, then I would recommend you not even go anywhere near this book because he wants you to react. He wants you to feel it. He wants you to understand how horrible it was that this happened and that people were affected by it and I just, I didn't realize when I first put it up that Blood of the Root was the reference to Strange Fruit. And I know we're going to talk about that shortly, but as soon as I saw the first picture, it was like a light went off. And I was like, there it is. That's exactly mm-hmm. what he's talking about right there. There's that moment when it becomes real. That's that moment when the, the people start jumping off the page. And you can imagine the life that everyone in that town could have had if people weren't obsessed with the fear and weren't obsessed with the hate and weren't grasping for the power that they were grasping for in foresight. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, what I think is particularly amazing about this book, or not amazing, that's not the right word, prophetic, is that he started researching writing this book before anything happened in this country that was to later trigger the Black Lives Matter movement. Very true. Um, that that this was something that um, yeah that, that that this was something he was really passionate about writing before all this happened and and you know as he was writing it all of everything that's happened in the last few years occurred um, and and he knew this was going to be an important work and um, I'm glad he didn't shy away from it because he could have because you know mm-hmm. he could have made this lighter but I was glad he didn't and and that really brings me to my next question which is um like we said this this book has a lot of shocking detail but true true detail true moments for you what was the most shocking moment detail realization um, from this book there were so many (laughs) yeah but um one that I did make note of because it just, yeah, it just gave me this visceral reaction. I was just, it made me really angry. Um, it was a recollection of um, a lady named Helen Matthews Lewis who moved to the county as a 10-year-old in 1934. And I think she said it was like sometime in the 1940s that this happened. But she was walking up to a friend's front door and noticed faint inscriptions on the stepping stones that led up to the house. So she knelt down and then realized that the path she'd been walking on was paved with gravestones from a black cemetery. I, I got like, chills. I got yeah. chills just you do say that. I was like, are, are, you, are you kidding me right now? You pulled up their gravestones and said, I'm going to make a sidewalk out of this to go up to my house. I mean, are you, 
Mm. Uh. Yeah, it's a complete disregard for human life and what the lives of the people that live there meant to other people. And it's all indicative of just the town. Everything that we could ever mention about what shocked us and what, you know, all of that's indicative of what Forsyth was. And I think there were a lot of moments that I think the the narrative didn't shock me. There were a few facts that shocked me. I, my clan history is not at all up to par. Um, so I was a little shocked to see the information about how the Ku Klux Klan had actually died down and that the birth of a nation, which came out later in the 19, I think, what did they say, around 1917, 1980, the birth of the nation came out, that right. that was what caused the resurgence of the Klan and what we know now as the Klan with the burning of the crosses and the White Hood. Mm-hmm. So that was some information that for me, it made me want to dive into it a little bit more to see what caused that. So that shockingly was one of the things that stood out to me when he was giving us information about just the town and racism in general. Mm-hmm. Is it yeah. weird that it made me want to watch that movie? Like, uh, you know, I don't think I can. You know, I, it may, I don't think it's weird in the fact that, in the sense that, um, you know, I was a communications major and um, one of the topics that came up in a discussion about film once in school was about this movie. And um, it, I've always had some curiosity, but I don't think I can bring myself to watch it. Like, I feel like it's one of those things that I find horrifying, but necessary maybe to do. Like how, um, like going into a Holocaust museum is really hard for me, right? Um, but I find it very necessary to do. I find it very necessary to pick the scab sometimes. Um, well, I think it's it, I think it's good as part of the understanding of right. what happened, happened in the time. Yeah. But it's just one of those things that's so, you know, just so difficult that I don't think I can bring myself to do it. Totally get that. Um, you know, I think I just have to prepare myself for it if I ever decide to watch it because you know you're going to be angry. You oh, yeah, exactly. Furious, furious. Because it's so based on what he said, the visuals for it alone would drive me insane. Mm-hmm. But the reaction to it and knowing how people reacted to it and knowing how this was just like a firestorm, like, see, this is why we fight. This is why we, we got to protect our women. We got to, you know, we have to represent all that's right in the white world. And I don't think I could, I, I think that would be the point where I'm just like, nope, I've, I've got to step away. Because you know I can't what? deal with the righteousness of it, what they thought was just so righteous about all of it. I couldn't deal with it. And that's, you know, to me, that's something that's like so, like you said, it kind of like just, you know, it just gets you, it makes you angry because you keep, you know, discussing how they had this fear, they had this fear. And, you know, in a way, they had something to be afraid of. Like this woman, there was a woman that was attacked. And then later the author talks about how somebody else was attacked in the same way. Exactly. They had something to be afraid of, but they chose the wrong thing to be afraid of. They didn't choose the violent person who keeps attacking people in their woods. They chose teenage boys. 
Mm-hmm. They didn't have to go looking for something. Like right. they already had it. And they chose to ignore it in favor of, you know, like what you call that righteousness. And the way Patrick um, really talks about how, in a lot of ways, this was created by men of power in order to grandstand, in order to have a spectacle that would get them renown, would get them popularity that they know, that they knew would gain them in a twisted way, respect. Mm -hmm. That was also like, the selfishness, the selfishness, and the just the uh, what men will do. It was just so sad. It was it was just so heartbreaking to for to to children, to children. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention this movie. I don't know if anybody's seen it. Now that I think about it, it's very reminiscent of what happened at Blood at the Root. And maybe this is one of those moments where it's because of movies like this and being exposed to this in my childhood, I didn't find this as shocking. Has anybody ever seen Rosewood? No, I have not. Okay, it's a 1990s film. It's actually a really incredible film. It's heartbreaking to watch. But something very similar to Blood at the Root happens in this story. There was a young white woman who claimed she'd been raped and she had been raped by a black man and it set up a firestorm. And in that town, they basically hunted down every black person they could. A lot of black people in the town ended up escaping. But us as the viewer and the black people in that town knew that she hadn't been, she hadn't been attacked by a black man. They knew she was having an affair and that the man that she was having an affair with beat her. and when someone said that that person was murdered but near the end of the movie you realize that a lot of the white people in that town knew that she was having an affair and knew that she had been lying but because they didn't want the black people there they took that torch and they Mm. blew it around the entire time the entire town and the parallels between that story and this story are incredible, even though, and I believe I, I have to look, and I can try and do that before this, before we finish recording. But I believe that that story may have been based on something true that happened, but I don't wow. think this foresight. Now I have to get into it because yeah, now I, I, I'm like, I'm like, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to use too many clippy clippy sounds in the background, but in my head, I'm like, gonna look that up later. <laughs> yes, yes, it just, it was one of those moments because I remember very. I remember at the very end, one of the men, and it was an older white gentleman, after, I mean, they're standing over a pit of bodies of people that they've murdered within, like, I think it was like less than 24 hours. It might have been just one night that this happened. And he looks at the, the husband and says, well, you know your wife was screwing around on you. It wasn't the, and I'm going to, he said it wasn't no black guy that did this you need to go home and talk to your wife after they've already done this horrible after they've already done right okay yeah so sorry about that tangent but it was just so it's no one of those reasons why i'm not as shocked reading this when these when these were the images that i remember seeing it was it had a pretty amazing cast in it john voight was in it and a lot of well-known black actors were in it, but it was definitely in early 1990s. I want to say 1993, maybe 1994. And the title is Rosewood. 
the title's Rosewood. Okay. I'm looking it up right now. So definitely I can, gonna try to find a copy of that um, and and watch it later. Thank you. Um, we can maybe throw an IMDb link in the show notes yeah, for anybody else who wants to check it out. Yeah, we had it was 1997, so it's later than I thought it oh, was. Wow. It was yeah. um, John Voight was in it, Ving Rhames was in it, Don Cheadle. Um, oh, yeah. Wow. yeah, I mean yeah. it was it was a pretty well known cast. Esther Roll was in it. Um, I'm going to see if I can find some information on where that it was based off the town. I think it actually was it's saying it's a dramatization of a 1923 racist lynch mob that attacked an african-american community mm. so it is indeed based off of it and i'll make sure to reference that but i'll send you guys the link for it so you guys can put it in there yeah, thank you stacy yeah. appreciate that no problem jeanette do you want to give your biggest moment realization sarah i mean like i said there's so many mm-hmm. um i think one thing, I don't, I don't know if it would be considered shocking, but one of the things that hit me hard was um, later in the book, um, the author talks about how, um, like, some of these people who did this thing, like, years later, they regretted it. They, um, like, even some of them on their deathbeds were, Oh, the know, wife? Um, well, well, it was one, um, the, like a the doctor mother, was talking about. Yeah, it, right? the mother uh, um, said that the the mother of the girl who died. She said that she always wondered if they'd done the right thing. But yeah, also like um, years later on their deathbeds, the doctor said that that many of them, you know, were terrified of dying because they knew what they had done. Oof! And I was like, well, they should be. I was like, you, you knew, you knew this is not like, this wasn't an irrational fear. Like this was a fear that you created and you knew that you were creating it. And like, that just really hit me hard that they basically created this for themselves, knowing it was wrong and still created it for themselves anyways. Right. Um, so I'll just do mine real quick and then we can move on to the next question. But Mine's a really tiny detail um, that I just, I can't get it out of my head no matter how much I try. And that is that in the law, in the court office, when you go back and you look at all the court records um, up until about the 1980s, a piece of the noose used to hang those two boys was a a bookmark (laughs) in the book on the page of that case. And I do not know why that upsets me so much, but it, it really does. It really gets me in this like very serial way, and I, I just don't know why. Because um, there is just a slew of horrifying things um, in this book. But for some reason, like up until the 1980s, that a piece of a noose used to hang a 14-year-old boy was used as a bookmark. I don't know. It's in a law library, essentially. I think it just says something truly horrifying to me um, mm-hmm. about it how far-reaching so this was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So let's talk about the title of the book. The title of the book is Blood at the Root, which is a line from the poem Strange Fruit by Lewis Allen. Um, You've probably heard this sung. (laughs) Um, It's more popular as a song than I think as a poem. Um, Does anyone want to read it? 
If not, I'll read it. It's fine. I can read it. And I will recommend if you do want to listen to the song, I said this earlier, Nina Simone's version is absolutely amazing and disturbing and beautiful. And here is Strange Fruit by Lewis Allen. Southern trees bear strange fruit, blood on the leaves and blood at the root, black bodies swinging in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. Pastoral scene of the gallant south, the bulging eyes and the twisted mouth, scent of magnolias, sweet and fresh, then the sudden smell of burning flesh. Here's fruit for the crows to pluck, for the rain to gather, for the wind to suck, for the sun to rot, for the trees to drop. Here's a strange and bitter crop. Thank you, Stacy. Mm. Um, so this poem clearly has a very, it's clearly about lynching, clearly about um, sort of the mixed images of the South. How do you think this poem, I mean, it has obvious relations to the book, but how do you feel about this poem um, and the book in general? I feel like this poem is more indicative of what the South was than any historical reference that we can see, because this is it. This is, we have the idea of the Southern Veil, and we right. forget about the idea of, like, especially in this book where they left the body there, they shot at the body, then they threw the body on the ground and left it there overnight, knowing that no one was gonna mess with it. But then we have the idea of sweet tea and beautiful flowers and all of the vast land that you can find in the South. But this was the reality, the fact that men were hung, women were hung, children were mm -hmm. hung from trees, from poles, and their blood is what nurtured that ground. Their blood is what would be on the leaves of these beautiful trees. And just as much as we try and hide parts of what hap what has happened in American history. This isn't something that we should only talk about during Black History Month. This is something that is ingrained in the history of what America is. These instances where people were run out of these towns, these instances where lies led to people losing their lives. This is what we have to face as an American because we can't, we can't get rid of racism until we can look back at our past and admit to all of the horrible things that have happened. And then after admitting it, looking in the mirror and saying that we would never let something like that happen again. We would never let that kind of discrimination, that kind of hate, that kind of fear right. take over us. And we've got a lot of reckoning to do. We have to look, we have to start looking at these instances and looking at the honesty that's there instead of hiding behind the images of what we want people to remember about right. what the South was and what the Civil War was and what slavery was. And I think if this is so hard to like say, I mean, after this last election in our current political climate, I think we all know that we have further to go in this country to see that truth happen yeah. than we all mm -hmm. really thought we had. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think um, is it something that I um, believe very strongly and I say um, a lot these days is that you cannot um, fix a problem until you face it 
Mm-hmm. Like you have to look at what the problem is in order to fix it. And I think the problem, you know, gets a lot of, like it gets a lot of like, I almost want to say like a little side eye, like, uh, yeah, there's a problem over there, but I'm not going to he- face it head on. And if you look at this poem, the poem, the line, pastoral scene of the gallant South, mm-hmm. like you think a lot about South, gallant. like Southern you know, Southern charm, Southern hospitality. Mm-hmm. And like when you relate it to this book, that was the picture of Forsyth that everybody kept selling. It's like, oh, well, it's just this little county with these little towns. You know, you should take a driving tour through here. It's so pretty <laughs> and charming in the mountains and we won't throw stones at you. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, when you focus on, oh, well, ju- we're just a small town of people. We just want to be left on our own. You know, we're just living our little small town lives. Nothing to see here. You're not looking at the problem face on and you have to. You cannot fix it without looking at it face on. Very true. I, I thought it was interesting. At the end of the book, he makes a reference to how um, the white residents of Forsyth want to leave the past behind without a hint of an apology. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly right. what it means. If, for them to apologize would mean for them to admit right. exactly. that they've yeah. done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And that they've, like we've talked about, they've benefited from the actions of the people that came before them. So they would rather bury it in the dirt than mm-hmm. ever admit to having ran out in the middle of the night people from their homes. People were separated, never to see their loved ones again and never know their fate because of, you know, the actions of the many. And to admit that would just, it would get rid of that idea that they're created of come visit us in Forsyth. I mean, we're just a nice little town Mm. with a very dark, very disturbing, very um, disgusting history. There is no other word. It was disgusting. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, does anyone have any more to add about this? I know we're running a little bit out of time, and I want to get to one more question before we wrap up. Um, but does anybody have anything else to say about the poem specifically that they want to add? I no, think you three, yeah, you three hit it on the head. So okay. <laughs> I agree with everything you said. So I, I brought this up in the beginning. Um, so. Let's go ahead and, and talk about Patrick a little bit and um, the, the type of book this was. Um, you know, as a white male handling this material, um, it's a nonfiction material, but I, I wouldn't say this book is a typical nonfiction book. Um, how do you feel that uh, he handled this story? I think he did an incredible job especially mm-hmm. because he had to, can you imagine the demons that he had to face in order to write it, knowing that he had lived in this town and was privy to all of this. When he talks about, you know, speaking to kids and the kids, like the language that he used, the. Oh yeah. The no, I he, mean, yeah. The way the children were referring to everything, he had to face that. He had to face the darkness that he was a part of for so long in order to write this book. And the method that he used, having to go back and research it, so much of it came from, you know, interviews and seeing these historical documents that had been basically hidden or forgotten about for all this time. I thought 
he did it he did a pretty amazing job and i was glad that he did it chronologically i was glad he didn't jump from one era to the next that he just let the story play out in time as it did in history to present mm-hmm. day i think that was really important for people mm-hmm. to see how the, how as time pa- passed very little had changed up until the 1980s when they finally had the first march through forsyth county yeah Mm-hmm. I felt he did a really good job setting up certain um, road signs, I'll say, throughout mm-hmm. the story to connect you back to certain families, to connect you back to how certain events are connected even decades apart. Yes. Um, did a really good job at, at bringing you through that journey in a way that um, felt very natural and didn't need footnotes, didn't need a lot of, you know, typical nonfiction text. Uh, which I really, really appreciate, and I think was probably very challenging. Um, mm-hmm. So good on him. The, I, I think I said before, I think he handled this with a lot of grace, but maybe my favorite thing that he did was he ended, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I believe he ended the book with the story about the little girl who asked um, where her doll was, oh, you know, her grandmother yeah. who had been run out of Forsyth. Yes. And her grandmother, clearly upset from having lost everything, you know, mm-hmm. her and her family have worked so hard for and everything that, you know, she felt that, you know, they had done to sort of get themselves out of this, in this post-slavery era. Um, she turned to the girl and said, I'll buy you a new one. And I think that ending is so important because it doesn't just say this happened and it stopped it, it for these people, you know, it, they got run out, but they continued on, Yeah, you know, they continued on. And the story of um, African-Americans in America, that is not, it doesn't end with the atrocities that happened here. Um, that, that story continues on in a positive way. Um, so I really, I was really happy that that's, that's how he chose to end the novel. Yeah. Yeah. And for being such a difficult topic, I think it was it was a very compelling read. It was very readable for yes, being you know, for being nonfiction, especially if, you know, I'm just trying to get into nonfiction myself and I thought this would take me forever to read, but it was just so compelling. And um, he also does a lot of work as a translator, and I almost mm-hmm. felt like that he was he took all of these stories, all these facts and all of these figures and translated it into this overarching story to tell. And, uh, it was, it was really well done. And, um, to kind of go off of the, you know, he is a white man writing about all of this, um, in his, um, in the author's notes, I don't know if you all saw this, but he he thanked a lady named Natasha Greenway right. for challenging him to write this story. And so like a little quote that he had in there, he said, Natasha turned to me during a cab ride in uh, New York City and asked me why it was that she, a Southern woman of color, wrote about blackness. Yet I, a white man from one of the most racist places in the country, never said a word about whiteness. Why, Natasha asked, do you think you're not involved? And, Thank um, you, Natasha. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so I much. That, I think that's, I'm glad she said that, and I'm glad he put that in there because people don't realize how often we're asked to discuss our blackness. And I know that sounds weird, but it's something that 
happens really often where I feel like I'm having to explain things to people that are uncomfortable with thinking outside of their own box or finding ways to be empathetic of it. And I, I've been having a few really challenging moments with people that I, I had previously considered to be friends. And the, the more I think about it, the less I realize that maybe they're just, a, they're, maybe they're just acquaintances. And um, I had seen a quote a while back and after the election and after you know events have transpired, one of the things that has stuck with me was this particular quote. And it was, if you have a friend that's black and you don't talk about race, then that's not a friend, it's an acquaintance. Right. And I'm really realizing more and more that there are people that I'm not uncomfortable about talking about it. They're uncomfortable about hearing about right. it. They're uncomfortable with realizing that we are still affected by the things that have happened in the past. She'd rather ignore that and not real and not recognize that there are still things that are have transpired that I am very much affected by just simply because I exist, simply because I'm in this skin. I'm affected by it. You can't ignore that when I'm in your face and willing to talk about it. These are things that you'll never get over if you don't expose yourself to them. You'll always believe that all of these instances of racism don't exist because you're not asking the right questions or you're not listening when I tell you very honestly, these are the things that are happening to me on a daily basis. To you, they might be nothing, but it's because you're not on the other side of it. You're not willing to listen to the other side of it because it makes you uncomfortable on the fact that at the end of the day, you benefit from it. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier about privilege. You you have to get over that idea right. of mm-hmm. wanting that privilege, knowing that you benefit from that privilege in order for us to, to make any make any difference. And, I end up talking about what it means to be black because I feel like people need to understand that this is what's going on. And if I can talk about being black, then you can talk about all of this and where you stand in it, no right. matter what race it is that you are. Right. I think that's like the least people can do, but it, you know, yeah, it's, you're right. It's all about facing people facing their individual demons before they can have that conversation. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Real quick. Last one. Last one. Did you like it? Yes or no? Quickly. <laughs> I hate saying that. I'm running out of time. Did, yes. did you guys I, like it? If you can I, say like, yes. <laughs> I enjoyed it for what it is. I enjoyed right. his writing style. I'm grateful that it was written. And it's definitely a book that I would recommend. So mm-hmm. I, maybe I that's gave, a better one. Would you recommend it? Is maybe a better. <laughs> Yeah. End question for this. I think so. Yeah, this was definitely a book that I recommend. And like it was it is readable, it is informative, it's personable. Like you feel like he's talking to you when he's telling mm-hmm. you all of these things in the book. But I think that matters because it emotion it connects you emotionally to the author and to his experience of the town and to the town itself. So yes, I would definitely recommend this book. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yes. All right. <laughs> Well, thank you, Stacey, so much for coming on and being a part of this podcast and joining this discussion with us. Um, I, I think you really added a lot to this discussion. Um, next book 
for the eclectic readers. Uh, not a nonfiction <laughs> uh, for the first seven two months um, is going to be "Girl Waits with Gun" by Amy Stewart. So pick that up and join us next month. Of course, I do hear it is based on a true story, but not a nonfiction. <laughs> we're, we're we're slowly easing back into fiction. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for that one, and um, I've had it on my Kindle for a little bit, so yay. Um, and so I guess this is the last time we'll tell you to be going to our show notes on Sunrise Robot. Oh, so uh, you can find our show notes at sunriserobot.net slash eclecticreaders slash 31. And don't forget to check out our new website uh, rolling out on March 1st with Tara Clancy's interview. Uh, so that'll be eclecticreaders.fireside.fm. And we're also moving over all of our old episodes. So you'll still be able to find those and listen to them as well. Uh, so real quick, where can everybody find you on social media? Jeanette. Um, you can find me at Goodreads and on Litzy at JMT Rivera. And you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Jeanette. That's D-R-J-E-A-N-N-E-T-T-E. Tara? Goodreads, Twitter, Litzy, all the very same. Uh, at Tara Newman, T-A-R-A-N-E-W-M-A-N. Come find me. Talk to me. Cool. What about you, Mayor? Uh, Goodreads, Twitter, Litzy, all the same handle. Uh, at Mayor the Book Gal. M-E-R-E-T-H-E-B-O-O-K-G-A-L. And Stacy, if you are so inclined, where can people talk to you? <laughs> well, I, of course, I have to be the difficult one. You can find me on Goodreads at Stacy C, that's S-T-A-C-I-E space C. On Twitter, I am at the underscore next underscore book. And on Litzy, I am the next book. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah. So yeah, come talk to us. Um, we'll probably throw up some of these discussion questions on our uh, Litzy page so that you can all join in on the conversation. And make sure you subscribe in your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode or any of our special author interviews that we're having fun with. Please rate and review us on iTunes. You'll help people find us and you'll give us warm fuzzies. Yay. All right. Let's shelve this until next month. Bye. 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 Bye.